So we continue uh, this morning in our Lenten series, The God We Can Know. And, and, and as you know, uh, if you've been with us, then, then you know that the, our focus after the first week when we looked at the, the story of Exodus uh, or the story of Moses and the burning bush, when, when we hear those words from God to Moses, I am who I am or I will be who I will be, and all the mystery that surrounds that. And, and you know, Moses is saying, well, who, who should I tell them sent me? And, and that's what God gives them. And I wonder if Moses goes away thinking, well, that... That means I don't even know what you're saying. And, and yet those are the words that, that Moses has given. And, and what we find in, in Scripture from that point forward, the overarching narrative of Scripture and God's interaction with humanity is that God is, is continually revealing His nature to humanity. And most specifically and most clearly in the person of Jesus. And so we focused for the last several weeks and we'll continue to through Easter on the I am statements or the I am sayings of Jesus. And what we find in those is that we learn something about who Jesus is and who he came to be and his nature and his character and who he is as a reflection of the Father. But we also learn something about ourselves in hearing each of those I am statements. For Jesus to say, I am the bread of life, means that there is something that Jesus is offering us that the world cannot offer us. There is a a hunger that we have that can only be filled and met in the person of Jesus. For Jesus to say, I am the light of the world, means that there, obviously, and it is apparent if you are living with your eyes open, the darkness that exists in the world is more apparent now than maybe at any other point in our collective memory. But there's also darkness that exists within us. There are places and things that we like to hide away in the dark spaces of our hearts. And for Jesus to say, I am the light of the world, means that that darkness needs to be dealt with. And I love that we see the beginning of John's gospel that this light that came into the world is a light that darkness cannot overcome. Light will always drive out darkness. Darkness can never drive out light. What an invitation that we have to allow the light of the world to come into us and to be representations and reflections of that light for the world around us. And what we see in these statements, yes, is that we learn something about Jesus, but more specifically, if we look at each one of them, we find that each of these statements is inviting in nature. For Jesus to say, I am the bread of life, is an invitation to feast and to be fed and to be satisfied. This morning, in hearing that Jesus will say of himself, I am the good shepherd, is an invitation to be led and to trust and to be cared for. So with that in mind, in honor of the reading of God's word, if you would, Please stand with me if you are able. John chapter 10, beginning with verse 1. Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. 
The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. In order for us to appreciate what is happening here and, and this, what seems like a strange jump from what we've just seen, uh, if you remember last week we looked at John chapter 8 and this statement that Jesus makes in being the light of the world. And then in John uh, chapter 9, uh, what, we, what we see is that Jesus then goes on to give light to someone who is walking in darkness. There's a man who had been born blind and, and Jesus encounters this man and he has mercy on him and he heals him. He gives him sight. This man who has never seen, this man who has lived in darkness his entire life is given the gift of of sight. And the Pharisees find out about this and they begin to question this man, which I think is so interesting. The ones who were tasked with leading the people in the way of the Lord, the ones who were tasked with reminding the people of God's law, the ones who were tasked with reminding the people of God's faithfulness to them over generations were the ones who questioned this man about his being given sight. The man who was born blind, who was now able to see. Rather than celebrating what had happened, they used this as another opportunity to try to discount the person of Jesus. And I love that the man's response in John chapter 9, a second time, this is verse 24 and 25, a second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth. They said, we know this man is a sinner. They're speaking of Jesus. He, that's the man who had been given sight, replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? <laughs> I'm not sure if this man knew what a jab this was to the Pharisees, but now he's calling them to the carpet and inviting them to examine their hearts and their lives. Obviously, they don't take kindly to this questioning. Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. They threw him out of the synagogue. This man who should have been given an opportunity to testify 
before the synagogue, before the gathering of God's people to testify to God's faithfulness that he was blind and had been given sight by this man, Jesus, this man who, who, who said of himself that he is the light of the world, gave light to this man who was living in darkness, should have been given the opportunity to tell his story. Would have been a man who took up that anthem, all my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. Now I'm going to sing the praises of God. Instead was thrown out. And so Jesus addresses the Pharisees here. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. If you go back to the Old Testament, you see that God continued to raise up people that were meant to shepherd Israel. We're meant to shepherd his people whom he loved, his people who were called according to his purpose, his people through whom God would bring the Messiah, the Savior, humanity's rescue into the world. And yet sometimes these shepherds that were were raised up, sometimes they were faithful and they did the things that God asked them to do, but often they were met with opposition. Those who were faithful were met with opposition and we're told they didn't know what they, they, they were talking about. We're, we're told that they were, they were misleading the people. Or we're told that they were not leading in a way that was reflective of who God was. Or those who had been raised up by God became corrupt. And they began to think only of themselves. They took advantage of, of their, their authority and leveraged that to benefit only themselves rather than to benefit the people of God. A wandering people. A people who were quick to, to give allegiance to, to other, peop, other, other people groups. Or who were quick to look at the, the, at the way another people group worshipped and the gods that they worshipped. And said, well, we, we believe in the God of Israel and we believe the story of Moses and that God rescued us from, from Egypt. But, uh, but we also see that you know, the way that these other people worship, maybe if we could just add that to the way that we worship, then we'll make sure all of our bases are covered. And so you would have these, these shepherds, these prophets, the ones who were raised up by God, who would stand and say, no, that's, that's not the way that God intends for you to live. You are meant to live in trust and faith and surrender to, to your God, the God who called you out of Egypt, the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our story. And the people didn't want to be told that they were wrong, much like we don't want to be told that they were wrong. And so, you know, you place enough pressure on an individual and on a leader, then what we so often see happen even today is that they begin to placate and they begin to lead in a way that's not reflective of God. Authors John Carter and Matt Redberg describe it this way. Rather than caring for the sheep, they were hurting the sheep. Instead of leading them to encounter and obey God, they were leading the people away from God into empty religious ritual. Instead of bringing the people of God to graze in the pastures of God's grace, the religious leaders were loading them up with the weight of religion and man-made requirements, making them plow the barren field of legalism. Instead of guarding the flock of God, they were goading them to turn from God to their own efforts. Instead of leading them to the overflowing fountains of grace, they were leaving them distressed, diseased, and spiritually dead. Listen, if this has been your experience in the church, on behalf of the church, I ask your forgiveness. 
because that is not a picture of what life in Christ is meant to be. It is not a picture of what Jesus and this promise that he makes when he says the thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, an abundant life, which we'll talk about in just a moment. He is a reflection of the self-giving nature of God, the overflowing grace of God, the love of God that can, that can seek and that can find and that can transform. And if you have been told along the way that in order to earn a place in that love, under the umbrella of God's love, then you have to live and act a certain way, then you have been misled because none of us can earn a place in God's kingdom. It is only by the grace of God. It is only by the work of Christ on the cross. And it is a gift. It is a gift we are meant to receive and it is a gift we are meant to share with others. So because God is faithful, even in the face of those whom he called not being faithful, God pronounces judgment upon them. If you look at Ezekiel chapter 34, you see that that God uses the prophet Ezekiel to pronounce judgment on the shepherds of Israel, to pronounce judgment on the shepherds of his people, to say, you know what, you have only served yourself. Therefore, I I am done with you, and I'm going to raise up another shepherd. If you look at Ezekiel 34, verses, beginning with verse 22, I will save my flock and they will no longer be plundered. I will judge between one sheep and another. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. Now, what's interesting about when these words were spoken is that David had long been dead at this point. So how is it that God is going to raise up David as the shepherd of his people? What we understand is that it is in the line of David that the true shepherd would come, and that is Jesus. Jesus would come, would enter the world. God in the flesh would come and make his dwelling, or tabernacle, as we said last week, come and make his dwelling among us. The problem is we didn't recognize him for who he was. Some did and gave their lives to following him. Some still do today and give their lives to following him. And yet, like sheep, we find ourselves wandering. We find ourselves afraid. We find ourselves wounded. We find ourselves vulnerable. And so Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees here, telling them, hey, there are those who are thieves and robbers. They only think of themselves. But there is a shepherd who thinks first of his flock. Now, it's easy when we're looking at at, at this passage in particular to talk about how dumb sheep are and how desperately sheep need a shepherd. That's, That's true. That's not a false statement. The problem is, we as sheep, if you wanna, you know, if we wanna place ourselves in that illustration, have a tendency to compare ourselves to other sheep. And so as long as we've, you know, got a friend who's like, that guy's an idiot, like he is a way dumber sheep than I am, then I'm okay. And I don't necessarily need a shepherd. I just want to know where the shepherd is, you know, so I can see him. But as long as I am, you know, in better shape than, than my buddy over here, then really he's the guy that needs the shepherd. He needs shepherding. He needs leading. He's always getting himself into trouble. We have this tendency if we focus on just ourselves as sheep and not on the work of the good shepherd, then we we play this comparison game. And before long, we have convinced ourselves that we do not need a shepherd, that we're good. 
We can care for ourselves. We can find our own way. We can find and, and, and um, enjoy our own green pastures. We can find springs of water. And yet what we often end up doing is buying into the lies of an enemy who convinces us that this is what green pasture is meant to look like. Or convinces us that this is where you're meant to find your spring of water. And so we start chasing things that are not of the Lord only to find that they don't give life, but they ultimately bring death. Death of heart, death of soul, death of spirit. Inhibit our ability to love and care for others. They inhibit our ability to receive God's love, and yet God is not content to leave us in that place. So we want to just allow the words of Jesus here to be for us what Jesus intends them to be, and that is that Jesus is describing himself as the good shepherd. And in that, we understand something about who we are as as sheep, who we are as a people in need of a shepherd. And we begin... In verse 5, they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. Even backing up in verse 3, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep out by name, calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. What's incredible about this, I don't know, do we have any sheep herders in here? I mean, it's possible we could have sheep herders. I, I don't know. <clears throat> this would have meant really, I mean, the, like what Jesus is describing here, the, the people in this time would have immediately understood what he, like they, they would have picked up on this. They, are, they either are sheep herders themselves, know a sheep herder, have sheep that someone else heard. Like they, they get this illustration that Jesus is using. Right? So, so they would understand that the sheep pen has one entrance, maybe is up against a building, or maybe, you know, if you're out in pasture, maybe is up against um, like a rock wall, and then there's, there are walls around it, but there's one entrance uh, through which you can go in and out. And oftentimes, if shepherds were, were keeping sheep in the same area, you have multiple flocks and multiple shepherds who are tending sheep, they will take all of the sheep to that pen together. They will, they will lead them all to the same place and put them all in the same pen so that they are protected at night. And then as the next day comes and it's time to take the sheep back out to pasture, each shepherd will begin to call his sheep by name. And those sheep will only follow the voice of their shepherd. And sometimes that shepherd may have a, a whistle or there's a song that he sings that's unique to him as a shepherd, and he sing, begins to sing this song and begins to call his sheep by name. And those sheep, if, there's, if there are 60 sheep in a pen, and 15 of them belong to a given shepherd, as soon as that shepherd begins to call them by name and begins to sing over them, when they hear his voice, they will follow that shepherd out. None of the other sheep will. Only the sheep that belong to that shepherd will follow that shepherd out. If they hear the voice of another shepherd, if another shepherd were even to dress up and put on the clothes of, of the shepherd that, that is the one who tends those sheep, even if he tried to disguise his voice so that it sounds at least similar to the shepherd of those sheep, then they will know that that is not their shepherd. 
And, and I, I think in, right there we have to deal with what is, what, are the voice, what is the voice or what are the voices that we are listening to that are leading us astray? What is it that is being spoken over your life? What is it that is being spoken into your life that is leading you to follow one who is not your shepherd, that is leading you to follow in a way that does not lead to green pasture, that is leading you to believe things about yourself that God says simply are not true. Because that voice is there. And it it, it sounds different and it presents differently for all of us. But what we read in Scripture, when Jesus describes the enemy, when he describes the devil, he says that his native tongue is lying. That he is the father of lies. That nothing that he speaks is true. And, and, and so I wonder, maybe this morning, that's, that's the thing that, that God would deal with in, in your heart. That's the thing that, that God would have you say, you know what, I have been following a voice that's not yours. Maybe it's a voice of your own making. Maybe it is the voice of, of culture or the world. Maybe it is the voice of another person in your life who, who really wants to shoehorn you into being something that God has not created you to be. Maybe this is the morning that you allow the voice of the good shepherd to sing over you and to hear his voice over all the others. So the shepherd calls his sheep by name. They know his voice and they follow him out. That's the next thing that we need to see. Jesus, the shepherd, shepherds would lead their sheep. They don't drive them. If they, if they try to drive them, then the sheep just scatter. The sheep long to be led. We all long to be led by someone or something. And we're going to be led by someone or something. We long to be led by the good shepherd, by the one who knows the way that we are to go. And yet so often we end up following you know, other people, other directions. We end up following ourselves as the shepherd, and that, that just often leads to no good. I had the opportunity uh, when I was youth director here, when I was um, single and, and before Piper and I even met. I, I'm not sure, and I didn't see this in the job description, but, but I think somewhere in there, maybe this was a, under duties as assigned, uh, that like you just house sat for everybody who needed some money to house sit for them. <laughs> because I swear I have been in more of the houses of church members in this church than I care to think about. And, and there was one elderly couple who lived between here and Todd out 194, and I used to, actually used to love to go to their place because they, I mean, it was like being on a farm. It was a little farm. Like, so they had chickens, and I would have to go and collect the eggs, and they were like, you can take as many home as you want. And I mean, they had tons of chickens. I was, it was really scary, though, because I, I didn't like getting pecked at. <laughs> they also had sheep, which was really awesome. And the instruction was, Vern, go and let the sheep out in the morning. And, and just let them be sheep. Just let them do sheep things, right? They just graze and they go to the bath. Like, they're just sheep. When it's time to bring the sheep in, get the dogs. They had two Australian shepherds. Get the dogs, bring them into the barn and say to the dogs, go get the sheep. That's it. That's all you have to do. And these dogs would take off and you just stand there with the door open. And next thing you know, all these sheep come running back into the barn. It was amazing. And so I would bring people out there and just keep letting the sheep out and then asking the dogs to go get them. Like, you got, you got to come see this. Eventually, the sheep, like, I would let the sheep out and the dogs would just look at me like, no. <laughs> this is not how we do this. 
But they would chase these sheep, by, like they would run after them and nip at their heels. And, you know, one would break off, and so the dog, one of the dogs would have to break off and go get it. And it took some time, but they would always get the sheep back into, into you know, where they were supposed to be. Jesus does not lead us in that way. The only time that Jesus is going to pursue us is if he is in pursuit of your heart. And then he will run you down. Until you, you are just, you're not going to wear him out. Like you're not going to outrun Jesus. But he will run you down. But once we, we are willing to say yes to Jesus as the good shepherd, then that relationship becomes one in which Jesus leads us. There was a saying for disciples of rabbis in that time, may you become covered in the dust of your rabbi. Meaning that you, may you follow so closely behind your rabbi that you're just covered in the dust that comes up from his feet. The beautiful thing about Jesus leading us as the good shepherd is that there is nowhere that he's going to ask you to go that he has not already been. There is nothing that he is going to ask of you that he has not already been willing to give himself. And so I wonder who... Who is it that you are following and is it leading to life? What is it that you are in pursuit of? What is it that you are allowing to lead you in your life and is it leading to life? Or is it leading to something else? Disappointment, destruction. And you realize, well, that thing's not working. Maybe I need to follow this thing or this person instead. When all the while, the good shepherd is there singing over you that you might begin to recognize his voice as the one who loves you. His voice is the one who, who longs to lead you into green pastures, who longs to lead you into this life abundant. Once the shepherd brings the sheep in, he becomes the gate. He becomes the means by which the sheep are protected. But this, this image of, of the shepherd then bringing the sheep into, into the pen, he's not just, he doesn't just bring them in and then, and then just lay himself you know, in the doorway, and, and then that's the end of the day, and then they get up and do it again. As each of those sheep comes in, Jesus cares for them. He checks them over. Are they wounded? Do they need wounds? Do they need to be bound up? Do they need to be cared for? Do they need to be nourished? If there is a sheep that continues to wander off, it was said that sometimes a shepherd would have to break the legs of that sheep. And that sounds awful. Sometimes the shepherd would wound that sheep so that that sheep will not wander anymore. But then he wouldn't just leave it to suffer and die. He would carry that sheep until its legs healed. And then that sheep would never leave the side of its shepherd. Sometimes in, in Jesus shepherding us, in order for us to truly step into this full life or abundant life, as some other translations say, sometimes it means that we will have to be wounded. And sometimes that's a painful process, the process of allowing Jesus to deal with the things in our lives that, that just have us continue to wander and, and, and find ourselves lost and pursuing things that aren't God's best for us. Sometimes Jesus will allow us to be wounded. 
but he will always carry us. He will always pick us up. He will never leave us in that place. And the hope is that then once he does and once our wounds are bound up, we find that there's nowhere we would rather be than at the feet of Jesus. Because we've tried all of that other stuff and we realize that it's not life-giving. It's not fulfilling. There's not care in it. We live in a world that ultimately does not care for us or care about us. But there is one who created this world and spoke it into existence and one who is in the process of redeeming the world and making it the way that it was intended to be from the very beginning. That is the one who is in the process of seeking and finding his sheep who are lost so that we might come home and so that we might find in him life as it was meant to be lived. And so we see a couple of things. We ask this question, well, what about this life to the full or this abundant life? What does that mean? Does it mean more things? No. God may choose to bless you abundantly, but guess what? If he does, he would invite you to hold those things with an open hand because he's gonna, he's gonna leverage that and use that to, so that you can be a blessing to other people. This full life means that everything, every worldly comfort might just be stripped away from you. The full life that Jesus comes to offer is a life of relationship with him. Now, listen, I've heard people push back on that and say, show me in here where it talks about God wanting to have relationship with his people. Show me in here where we are supposed to have relationship with Jesus. While it might not say those words specifically in scripture, what we see in this passage is that if Jesus knows my name, inherent in that is relationship. He knows me intimately. He calls me by name. The name that he has for me, not the name that this world has given me, not the name that I might be living by, not the name that I've chosen for myself or the name that I've allowed to be spoken over me, but the name that is, you are mine. Relationship is evident in that he knows our name and that we are invited to know his voice. Relationship is evident in that if there is a sheep who is lost, he will come after it and he will not stop until he finds it and brings it home. Relationship is evident in the way that Jesus cares for us, in the way that Jesus binds up our wounds. Relationship is evident in that in Christ we find safety and we find peace and we find that we are comforted not that we will always be comfortable because I think that that is one of the, the things that we, we tend to offer one of the things that we believe about following Jesus is that my life will be comfortable Jesus says the opposite if anything it is going to be incredibly uncomfortable because he longs to take our small view of the world and our small view of our lives and completely flip it upside down and inside out and then turn us loose on the world. But his promise is that we will be comforted in the affliction that awaits us. We will be comforted when we go through hardship or difficulty, when we chase and pursue things that are not God's best for us. We will be comforted by the one who comes after us and who rescues us from ourselves. Inherent in that is relationship. And, and as I said last week, I, this is my story. Light of the world, that's my story. 
bread of life, that's my story. I've sought comfort. I've sought purpose. I've sought meaning. I've sought a full and abundant life in places that are not connection with Jesus. And I can tell you that every single one of them left me desperate and wanting. And in Christ, though I don't always follow him perfectly, I found that I have a shepherd who knows me and I'm learning to know his voice and to follow it above all others. A shepherd who will bind up my wounds. A shepherd who will care for me. A shepherd in whom I have protection. I'm not sure where you are in relationship to Jesus this morning. But, but I want you to know that he is seeking you. He longs for you to come and know the comfort and the abundance of being shepherded by him. And he's willing to do whatever it takes for you to experience that. And so for you, maybe maybe this morning is an opportunity to say, you know what, I, I've, I've tried all of those other things. I've tried pastures of my own making. I've followed voices that are not the voice of God. And, and maybe this morning is the time that you say, I'm, I'm done running. And, and it's the morning that you say yes to Jesus. Or maybe you're a person who says, you know what, I, I, I actually know the Lord, but I, but I feel like I've just been wandering. I've been in a place that, in, in which I've not allowed myself to be shepherded by Jesus. I, I want to come back to that. Regardless of where you are, know that there's opportunity for you to say yes for the first time or again, for the 10th time, for the 20th time. If you'd like to pray, Patty and I will be available up front during our closing song, and and we'd love to talk with you and and pray with you if that's where you are. And and here, I think, is, is perhaps... One of the things that then is an invitation for us beyond allowing ourselves to be shepherded by the good shepherd. Jesus will go on to say, following verse 14, in which he says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. This would have been uncharacteristic. If Jesus is talking about shepherds, all of a sudden they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Shepherds don't lay down their lives for sheep because for most of those shepherds, those sheep don't even belong to them. Like they don't care that much about the sheep. And yet Jesus here is setting himself apart and saying, I am, I am different than the shepherds you are used to dealing with because I am willing to lay my life down so that my sheep might know life. And then he goes on to say, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. There for us is the invitation when we are shepherded by Jesus, when we are willing to say yes to this full and abundant life that Jesus offers us, that he promises that he came to make possible, it's not just a life for us to live and to enjoy. It's a life that we might then go out and share with others to find the sheep who are lost, to find those who are having a hard time hearing the voice of their shepherd who is speaking and singing love over them to say, hey, I know a place where there's good pasture. I know a shepherd who's good. I know a shepherd who is for you and who longs for you to know life. 
What if we become a people who are willing to leave the 99 to go after the one who is lost? Imagine what the world begins to look like. Imagine what relationships around you begin to look like. Imagine what the church begins to look like. Let's stand and pray together. Father, we confess to you our propensity to wander. We confess to you our our propensity to always assume that the grass is greener somewhere else. And we are so humbled and thankful that in your son Jesus, you have sought us out and you are seeking us out. But in Jesus, there is a shepherd who is good, not a good shepherd, but the good shepherd, the one who is willing to chase after us, the one who is willing to find us, the one who is willing to bring us home to bind up our wounds, the one who offers us life and the one who will lead us as we go and share this life with others. God, would you, by your Holy Spirit, in the time that we have left, just just deal with us in the way that you need to. Meet us where we are. Reveal to us those things that we've chased that are not of you. Reveal to us the ways that we have followed voices that are not yours. God, would we hear your voice singing over us? Jesus, would we hear and receive that invitation to come home and to be led by you? It's by the Holy Spirit and in the power of your